Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Okay, as promised, we have a special guest with us today, Jeff Harry from Rediscover Your Play. I'm very excited to talk to Jeff today. We've had a couple of chats. Jeff is a top 100 HR influencer, and he's also been cited in New York Times about work and play. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. This is exciting. Uh, what else about your background do you want to tell the listeners before we jump in? Yeah, so I usually like to give the background of like who I am because people are like, okay, yeah, play. What does that actually even mean, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, let me start this way. Uh, so when I was in third grade, I saw the movie Big okay. uh, with Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Do you remember yep. that movie? Yep. You know, and he and he played with toys for a living. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like you could do that for a job. So I started writing toy companies in third grade and I just did not stop, you know, until I got into the toy industry, like 20, 23 years later. Right. Um, and then when I got there, I don't know if you've ever gotten what you've always wanted. And it's so disappointing. But okay. like, that's what happened. You know, I was in a cubicle. There were no high fives. There was no play. You know, there were no kids. There's no toys, um, even, though, even though I was at a toy company. Um, and I left New York and came to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, you know, suffering from my quarter life crisis. And I was like, what in the world am I going to do? And I remember bumping into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. And they were just playing mm -hmm. for a living. And I was like, oh, man, I want to do this. And even though it only paid like 150 bucks a week, I was just like, I'm going to do this because it's just interesting. I'll do it for now. It's not going to be forever. Right. And then, you know, I helped them grow from seven people to 400 people. And we became like the largest Lego STEM organization like in the country. Okay. And over the next like 15 years, like we taught a million kids. We taught 100,000 kids a year. We're getting all these accolades. But the whole time we're doing all this, we're just making it up as we go along. We're just playing. We're just we're choosing cities because they're fun. We have no business plan. We're choosing people because they're fun, right? You know. And then we got the attention of Silicon Valley, and they were like, "Hey, do you do team building events?" And we were like, "Yeah, of course we do." Even though we didn't, we were just saying yes to everything. Um, and it was interesting as I as I was working with these companies over the next five to seven years. I noticed they were all about disruption, all about innovation, all about agile and, you know, and taking risks, but they hadn't created the environment to do that. Like it wasn't a play oriented environment. You know, it wasn't, they wouldn't, they didn't help their staff get into flow. They weren't addressing like really important issues, like how to deal with office politics at work. So I created Rediscover Your Play, combining positive psychology and play to help them solve like they're really most difficult challenges. Oh, that is excellent. I love it. So tell me more about why play at work is so important in the positive psychology, kind of the reasons why this is powerful. Well, I think first, you know, I always reference my play mentor, Kevin Carroll, who says the future is where the fun is. Like if you look at it right now, the organizations that are having the most fun, the companies that are having the most fun are the ones that are thriving. Right. The Netflix, the Teslas, you know, you know, heck, even the Amazons, you know, Google, 
Um, and, and you have to take that in consideration, right? Like if you think of any startup, what was so magical about a startup at the beginning when they were doing it out of their garage, they were playing. They were they were ex experimenting, seeing, you know, can we even solve this problem? Can we even make this actually happen? Meanwhile, much larger organizations are having discussions like, you know, no, you know, I just heard about a company that's that's mailing DVDs to people. That sounds really stupid. And then they're going to say that they're going to, you know, start showing videos online. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Guess who was that? That was Blockbuster. And now they're gone. Right. Right. So if you are not playing, you know you're basically be going to become obsolete, you know, and especially in 2020, even for the small business owner, you know, the solopreneur, um, the, the ability to play and let go of results and be fully present in the moment is so vital, especially in 2020 and going into 2021, where frankly, we're never going to be getting back to normal. It'll be a new normal. Yep. You know, and I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment, where there is no result, there is no purpose. You, you know, you don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You're just fully present, you know, and you're in flow. And when you're in flow, you're doing your best work. And then that is that is when you finally are getting paid to be you. Got it. So tell me about, is there actually play workshops that you do to kind of bring out communication, engagement and Tackle. Yeah. Give me some yeah, examples. So, yeah. So I run a quite a few different workshops. I run a workshop called playing with your inner critic, where okay. it's all about addressing your inner critic, learning how to identify it. Because if you're not able to, you won't be able to be creative because you have this mean voice talking to you the whole time. I have a workshop that I run with my friend Gary Ware called Dealing with A-Holes at Work Through Play or Dealing with Toxicity at Work Through Play, okay. which is all about how do you confront toxic people because those toxic people are causing your company a lot of money and turnover, $223 billion in the last five years for Fortune 500 companies. Um, I'm running a, an, uh, another workshop called Dudes Do Better, Check Your Company privilege to flourish, which is all about showing a lot of startups that are claiming that they're changing the world, but not really to be like, well, are you really? And let's call that out and let's actually identify how you can do that. And then I also run a workshop called Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, which is all about getting your staff into flow and identifying the, the, the way in which they played as a kid is the way in which they should be doing their work now if you want the most out of them. Okay, so uh, Jeff, this is my experience with these two ideas, and, and and they work. So one is, remember the outdoor adventure stuff, the you know the trust fall, the climb to the top oh, yeah, of the yeah, pole. Yeah. You know, it's very expensive. You take a day or two out, or a half day minimally, and do that. But it it worked. It helped with connectivity. It helped with if it was properly debriefed, uh, which I think is a key. You would agree. Uh, it yep. can really bring out some learnings as you try to challenge yourself and get uncomfortable and work together as a team. So that's one. Is that kind of where you, where you're going with these workshops? Is it very similar? Um, no. I mean, I I try to shy away from just like it's like happy gung ho team building, you know, events. Like I've done those. I've done those for like the last decade. And and as much as I do appreciate those, and and what's good about those is they're they're introspective. So you start to learn some stuff about yourself right what i'm really all about is helping staff have 
hard conversations oh. and address really important issues in the workplace that frankly they haven't been able to because I think a lot of times we don't get practice at work. We don't get right. practice on how to have a hard conversation. We don't get practice on how to figure out what it is, what is, what is my flow work, right? I tell this to a lot of team leaders, especially now during 2020 in a virtual environment. When was the last time you had a conversation with your staff where you ask them, what is the work you love to do most? Oh, is it this? Do you love to talk to clients a lot? Do you love the connection of that? Okay, How, what percentage of your work is that right now? Oh, it's only 10%. Is there any way in which we can increase it to 12 or 15%? Because when you do that, you actually help them do all of their work better, you know? And I don't know if we're having enough of those conversations. So that's the stuff I'm trying. I'm trying to go deeper at this point. Yeah, I like it. So tell me, uh... Other tough issues you're tackling, I think you mentioned about one course about ta tackling tough people or tough issues in the office. How do you create an opening where it's safe to have those conversations? Well, I think the first part is, you know, the, the organization has to be open to it, right? And then the yep. team has to be open to and it. And the leaders And have usually to be open. the yep. actual toxic person is not, is not open to it. <laughs> yeah. But it's not about them, right? It's about the whole idea of the team setting boundaries and trying to identify what they will tolerate and what they won't, right? So a lot of times when I'm going through this workshop with people, you know, it starts with, okay, what are the, what are the meetings like? Oh, this person is dominating the meeting. Meetings. How can you, as a team, start to take up more space at the meetings, start occupying more of the meetings? All right, how many of you have actually confronted this toxic person directly? Because sometimes they don't even know how they're communicating. So going up to that person being like, hey, Chad, you know, when you cut off Samantha at, you know, in the meeting, not only do you cause her to not want to share anymore, you also communicate to all of us that you don't want us to share. Is that your intent? You know, not attacking the character, but a but addressing the behavior. And then if that doesn't work, then addressing you know, the supervisor or, or if that supervisor is the a-hole, addressing the supervisor's supervisor and talking about it from an impact standpoint of like, how much has Chad caught? Chad, Chad has brought in half a million dollars this year, right? He's a brilliant jerk. He's amazing in that way. But he's also caused six people to quit. How much is turnover costing us? Oh, Chad is actually losing us money, you know? And then finally, and this ties in with the inner critic, is addressing the reason why that toxic person is triggering to you is because something they're saying you actually believe. So you have to explore that within yourself and be like, what is that? Is that true? You know, do I suffer from imposter syndrome? Should I be getting paid what I want? You know, should I be, you know, should I have the position that I have? And then once you realize, you're like, yeah, actually I do. I do deserve all this. Then the next time Chad confronts you or says something rude, you'd be like, Chad, that's so disrespectful, don't ever speak to me that way. And when you say that, you give permission for everyone else to start stepping up to him and start setting boundaries. And then Chad has a choice. He either changes his attitude or he has to go. Yeah, so t tell me, is this in the form of a game? Like when before you get to these tough yeah, conversations? Yeah, so do you have tinker toys? Do you have Legos? What? What do you do no, to get do into a lot that? Of, yeah, we do a lot of role playing. So role we playing. actually okay. have people act out what's it like to feel like being the toxic person. Oh, does it 
How does it feel? You know, what do they typically say, right? And then we have them go through meetings where, you know, they they have to have to try to persuade a toxic person to agree with them. Um, and then finally, then we have like the conversation of, of, of having them confront that person directly. So it's all about getting repetitions and practicing how to have these conversations. So by the time they leave, they're like, Oh wait a minute! That that it isn't actually that hard. Yeah, how about the topic you and I talked about the other day? How to navigate uncertainty through play? And there's a lot of that in 2020. How do you uh, address that topic? Well, so we do that a lot in the Future Warriors. Your fun is workshop. So I think a huge problem that adults have is we get very fixated on results. Yeah. Um. And you know the quote expectations are the thief of joy is a huge reason why so many people have been disappointed with 2020 right they had plans in december 31st of 2019 of what 2020 was going to look like it was going to be their year every so many people that i speak to so many clients i speak to were like this is going to be my year the year i'm going to double my business the year i'm going to travel all the world year i'm going to get married like all this stuff right and that's okay to have those but as soon as 2020 hit and those things start didn't start happening and people had to stay in quarantine, a lot of people were disappointed, which they can be. But then there's a point when you have to let go of it. And a lot of people, a lot of adults do not have, you know, or, or not have not practiced like kids to just simply let go of stuff, just let go of the results. So even in one of our workshops, we, you know, we have people write down what they wanted to do in 2020 and, you know, that they won't be able to do and then fold it up into a paper airplane and let that go. Yeah. Um, and we do that before we actually brainstorm the next thing they want to do, you know, for the rest of 2020. I mean, right now we have like a month and 10 days left, you know, and for your listeners, what magical thing do you want to create in this month and a half? What could change your whole year that you can do now. So it's a, it's a lot about being able to let go of what you thought you wanted in order to create the opportunity to get in flow, to find something new that you really do want. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, get unstuck and a little symbolism there, a little practice there, and then practice moving forward. Okay, so what about a virtual environment? Here we are. Uh, can we still have work and play and, and uh, in doing it virtually? Or what advice would you have for people or even team leaders that have teams to do this virtually? I, I think you have to lead from a place of humanity and connection. Okay. In this virtual environment, I find that a lot of the companies I've worked with or clients that I've talked to, they're, they're, they're scared. So they're actually recoiling. So their meetings are quicker. Their meetings are more about to-do lists. They're meeting, you know, and they're not actually focused on culture and connection. Yeah. And frankly, at this point, that is actually probably one of the most important things you can do as a team leader. One example of someone I know, he just has lunch with his staff. Like he has his one-on-one -on -one meetings where he talks about stuff. But when he has his whole team, they just have lunch together. Like a couple days, three days, four days out of the week. So a virtual lunch you're talking about. about work. They talk nothing about work, right? Because that's what that's what he cares about. I know another team leader that always is asking his staff, you know, how are they doing? 
how, you know, what's going on outside of work, because this is also a super challenging environment. You have the kids at home. There's yeah. a lot more stresses. The company might be struggling, you know, um, being transparent about where the company is at financially is really important. And then lastly, the thing I mentioned earlier, which is how do I help my staff focus on the work that they do best? What is their flow work? Or as Marcus Buckingham refers to it as red thread work or Gay Hendrick's zone of genius work, the work where you forget about time. How can I help my staff do that more? And the other part to take in consideration, and this is something I've been researching most recently, is you know, in an eight-hour workday, it's just fascinating, the eight-hour workday, right? Because this was invented by a man by name of Jim Cohn back in 1814. By, he was a Welsh labor activist. Um, and then for 100 years, no one paid attention to it. You know, eight, And the whole premise was eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of sleep, right? Okay. And then back in 1970, and then in 1917, Henry Ford realized that he could not work his, his employees 11 to 15 hours without killing them. So he implemented the eight-hour workday and then doubled the salaries of everyone, which really pissed off the rest of his industry because he's like, what are you doing? You're paying them more and they're working less. Like we can't squeeze more money out of them. And frankly, his productivity level went up and all of his profit went up, right? So it benefited him. But since 1917, there has not been one change to the eight hour, the eight hour day. You know, it's still the eight hour day. And, and they've found that, you know, studies have found that People can't focus for more than two hours and 53 minutes. That's actually the average mm. employee's focus. So maybe you're able to focus for maybe four or five hours. Maybe you're an overachiever. But still, you can't like get people to work for eight quality hours. So knowing they only have three to four really good hours of work in them per day, what is the work that you want them to do that will leave them most energized? Yeah, in the zone, as you say, or in flow. And right. If you can and help people do that. Also, end your meetings. Like, try doing meetings where the main goal is to have your staff leave energized. Not have yeah. them go through their to-do list, not make sure they know what they, what, what they need to hit, numbers they need to hit, but actually leave motivated coming out of the meeting. And that should just be the main focus of the meeting, right? And just see how your meetings change, especially in this virtual environment. Really good advice. Okay, so I always like to talk about applications at home. How do we rediscover our play at home and build relationships and improve communication there? Have you... Thought about that, or what's your advice there? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I work a lot with my clients on this, and there's two recommendations that I have. You okay. know, So in order to play, I learned this from my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, who would say, you know, in order to play, you have to learn how to soothe yourself. You actually, and, and you learn how to actually soothe yourself from the person that, that took care of you the most, that nurtured you the most. So depending on how they took care of you, that's actually how you calm yourself down. So you have to identify what are the ways in which I soothe myself? You know, do you, I have, I have my best ideas in the shower. Do I have my best ideas while I'm walking? Like what, you know, while I'm shooting hoops, I have a basketball hoop in my, in my place, right? You know, like what are the ways in which I actually calm myself down? Right. And then second, and this is funny coming from a play guy, but then, then you get bored. 
And the reason why I say that is think about when you were a kid. Your best ideas came when you were bored. Also, your most dangerous ideas, yeah, but also your best true. ideas, right? And yeah. what does that mean to get bored? That means stop binge-watching Netflix for like a couple hours. Stop being on social media comparing yourself to other people because, again, comparison is the thief of joy. And get really quiet. Like, mm. you know, don't have all that outside stimulation because – you know, the amount of information we take in a day, people in 1950s got that in a year. So we're getting bombarded by so much information that it's so hard for us to come from a place of creation when we're doing that. So get bored, get quiet, you know, block out all that noise and then start to listen. Listen for that inner whisper, that inner curiosity, that inner child that's going to say something at first, that sounds ridiculous, like start a podcast, create this video, reach out to that person that you, you know, you, you never thought you could reach out to, but you're going to do it anyway. You know, you're doing your job, start that side business, you know, bring up that topic at the next meeting that you've been wanting to bring up, but you've been too scared to talk about, you know, and you and just follow that curiosity and see actually where that takes you. So like that's the first one, right? The second one, this is one that you can actually employ with your friends or with clients, you know, or whoever it is that you feel close to. Um, and this is how you can actually rediscover part of who you are and rediscover what makes you come alive, right? Okay. Because Howard Thurman says this quote don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive so the so the play experiment is you call three to five people and you're going to ask them these two questions what value do i bring to your life because a lot of times we don't know what value like what do i do for you why, why are we friends you know so what value do i bring to your life is the first question and then the second question ties into the howard thurman quote what when have you seen me most alive? And a different way of asking that is like, when have you seen me most playful, most creative, most present, you know, most having fun? But, the, you know, when have you seen me most alive and what value do I bring to your life? And when you get those answers from three to five different people, it is fascinating what you actually hear back. That's actually how I came up with the name of my company, Rediscover Your Play, because people were like, oh, will you help me rediscover something? Or, oh, you help me actually play more. And then they started to come together and I was like, do I help you rediscover your play? And they're like, yes, that's it. That's what you do. And when you have that information, in addition to you getting quiet and following your curiosity, you have so much information to then actually explore what actually is your play and how to do it best. So you just hit a couple of hot buttons for me. So let me try to unpack both of these points you just brought home at home. So this, let's stay on this last one here because as you and I talked about, I just wrote a book, Live Your Purpose. And uh, so this is, your questions here are very powerful and, and they are part of helping people identify, you can call it strengths-based, you can call it your purpose, you can call yep. it, but your zone, you, where you are yep. working at your best, where you feel that you're in sync with your values and the direction you'd like to take your life. And those kind of introspective questions are so powerful to get people to think through all those things you've talked about. And I'm going to add the word purpose. Does that fit in? Does that make sense in your, your uh, psycho positive psychology? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's the other part of like, how do you positively prime your day? 
Like I ask this mm-hmm. of my clients all the time. You know, how does your day start? Because if you look at news to start your day, you're actually 20 to 30% less productive, right? But you know what I do? I play to start my day. I actually create a TikTok video, which is ridiculous. It has no ROI. It has no productive value. It's just for me. But once I do that, it frames my day through a lens of play. And my friend Desiree taught me this question of, of, um, asking whenever something good happens, how can it get any better than this, right? And when I ask that question, when something good happens, it positively stacks all of these moments. So like, you know, I made a TikTok to start my day. How can it get any better than this? Oh, then I applied to this, you know, organization to pitch something for them. And how can it get any better than this? Oh, now we're having this conversation. Oh, how can it get any better than this? I get to see my girlfriend later. How can it get any better than this? Oh, I get to have a conversation with my friend Louise that we've been wanting to have for like a year. How can it get any better than this? Like, and you're stacking all these positive priming moments together and creating a really great day. Now, the flip side of that is a lot of people say, oh, I had a bad day. Well, actually, your thoughts only last nine seconds to 90 seconds. So you didn't actually have a bad day. What you had was a bad moment. And then you ruminated on that bad moment. You kept thinking about that bad moment. And then you primed yourself to look for more bad moments throughout the day. So you can flip that by simply asking the question, how can it get any better than this? from a curious standpoint, and you can change your entire day and maybe your entire life. You know what? You can't overstate that. I I think about it in terms of gratitude and the benefits of being grateful, but I love it that you're asking it in that fun question. How can it get better than this? Um, And then I love that your point of how you're bringing together. Start your day with a positive prime. And however that looks like, is that exercise? Is that a walk? Is that a game? Is that a... But start with a positive prime for the day. And what's interesting is at meetings, it's the same way. Start the meeting positively priming the meeting. And that doesn't mean when you actually start the meeting. It actually is when the first person walks in the door. So when that person is talking about their baby and how happy they were or like something fun, that actually starts the meeting. Not when you're like, okay, everyone, let's now start the meeting. So look at – so, but if people are complaining to start the meeting, that actually then – makes the whole meeting less productive. So be mindful of you. Even if you're not the leader of the meeting, you can start to positively prime that meeting. By the question you ask, the thing you bring up about another person, recognizing a birthday, recognizing some change, you know, or a quick game or a quick question that leads to getting to connect with somebody in the room. Yeah, I like it. I love it. Great points, Jeff. You're on fire. Do you always this passionate or just first thing in the morning? No, always. I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I mean, I, I mean, like when people ask me, it's just like, well, what is it? What do you want to get out of this podcast? And I'm like, I think the most important thing that I want to do is just share this message that you can actually use play to not only be productive, but like have a massive impact on the world. And I'm trying to figure out as many ways to share that. Yeah. You know, you're doing it. Carry on. Hey, how do people find you if they want to hear more? Uh, yes, they can simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com, and when you arrive there, just click the Let's Play button where I have all these play experiments you can do, and then you can also click on this button, and we can then have a conversation and figure out how we can tap back into your inner child so you can kick ass in the world and make a huge impact all through play. Jeff Harry, thou art the man. Really appreciate you being on today, and thanks for your time. Hey, thanks so much. 